from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like good. They're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got it. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, July 9th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. It's going to be a jam-packed one. We heard Jared Kelnick's home run heard around the world off the Hit It Here Cafe. Well, Scott Service had some thoughts on that. Summer camp ramping up because tomorrow the first inter-squad game for the Mariners. And you can listen right here on 710 ESPN Seattle, 2.30 p.m. But we hear from Scott Service on the goals for that game and how it will work. Also, we hear from Jerry DePoto on how the team is handling uh, this unique, unprecedented time in terms of testing, in terms of health and safety protocols. Plus, Richard Sherman, he recently compared the head coaching styles of his former head coach, Pete Carroll, to his current head coach, Kyle Shanahan. What did Sherm have to say? A bunch of other headlines to dig through. The Ivy League announcing that it will rule out playing all sports this fall. It becomes the first Division I conference to do so. Plus, running back Raheem Mostert requesting a trade out of San Francisco. Jim Harbaugh just being Jim Harbaugh. Plus, soccer on our TVs. Yesterday, the MLS is back. Tournament kicking off all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. Jerry DePoto, Mariners manager, very pleased with how effectively the team's been operating so far. Right now, we're pleased with how things are going overall. I mean, it, the our players got in early. Uh, we got through the, the, the testing and we got out on the field in a, a, about as, as seamless a fashion as we could have hoped. I think our staff, from Kyle Torgerson to Joe Boringer, and our field staff, Scott Service, the coaches, and, and, and the entire group have done a phenomenal job of setting up a, a daily work schedule that keeps the players from being, uh, I guess, exposed to, to big groups for any long period of time. We get them in and out in, in five hours-ish a day. Jerry DePoto saying the silver lining in a situation like this, uh, where you have that 60-man roster, well, the taxi squad of 20 players, is that it could be beneficial for the development. A lot of young players, a very young squad they've got over there. Obviously, with some of the guys that we were, we would have otherwise started at the low levels, you know, the A levels and, and below, we're going to be a little slower in how we develop and get them back on the mound, or even in, in how we get them there at bats once the games start knowing that we, had, we do have to get prepared to start a season in, in about two weeks. Uh, but the opportunity to have the young players here experiencing this, intermingling with our, our major league club and staff, getting familiar with Seattle and T-Mobile Park, it's, in, it's really I mean, in such a unique situation as we're all in right now. This is a, one of the real silver linings is what this could do for the development of, of a young group like we have. Mariners GM Jerry DePoto also with some thoughts on that 60-man roster. There's not going to be a lot of moves around the 60-player pool. He's There's not going to be a lot of willy-nilly movement in an, you know, in an, around the 60-player pool. Uh, the, you know, we're, we're confident that between our or among our 60 players, the players that we would count as the next tier of additions in the event that we need to add players to our 60-player pool from in-house, or uh, the, the players that might come from the present free agent pool 
and or what we ultimately believe will be, you know, an MLB, MLBPA sanctioned uh, free agent. Uh, I guess team or teams that, that are going to play independently. We can, we will be able to access players in the event that we that we need to replace them quickly. But you know, our our intent is to, to get through this without without losing players from our 60-man pool uh, from a from a control standpoint. DePoto saying that 60-player pool spots are kind of like gold right now, and that's a reason that they couldn't add Haniger, Mitch Haniger at this time because some question marks still with his health and recovery. Correct. He would have to be among the 60. And right now we feel like those, for, for obvious reasons, those spots are gold. And, you know, if we if our understanding is with Mitch that Minimally, he is not going to play for an extended period, and there's a very good chance that he doesn't play at all in 2020. We want to use that spot on a player who is either A, developing, or B, has the opportunity to, to help us here in Seattle if it need arises. How might the 60-man roster work when and if players test positive for COVID-19? So there's a little bit to unpack there, but once you put a player on, on the COVID list or the inactive list with the you, you can replace him with a player from within your 60. If we add a player to our 60, whether it be from outside our organization or citing a free agent, we can't exceed our 60 player pool limit uh, minus the player on the inactive list. So whenever that player or players comes back from the COVID list or frankly any other, could be any other normal baseball injury, uh, we are not we are not able to exceed 60 players outside of players who are on extended, you know, injured list programs. Like right now, Mitch Haniger would qualify uh, for obviously for very different reasons. But the the idea being that you don't have the advantage of having 65 and 70 players while another team is, is operating with 60. Also, uh, we all got to hear a little piece of that Jared Kelnick home run yesterday. I only played it um, several times, uh, which I think is fair, right? Maybe one more time now. (laughs) Oh, Oh my God. (laughs) Scott Service with some thoughts on that home run uh, yesterday. Yeah, certainly. He's he's a really talented young guy, but uh, not a whole lot of fear. Uh, He looks looks forward to the challenge, and uh, and that's part of our job is to keep challenging him. Um, and, and keep pushing him. So uh, he has a, uh, a very high motor. Um, he, he keeps it revved up all the time. Every time he's on the field, he wants to show people how good he is and how good he can be. So um, yesterday, certainly he, he got into that one pretty good, but uh, the guys were, were chirping about it a little bit, and <laughs> I couldn't believe it showed up on social media as quick as it did. Crazy how that happens. But Scott Service saying it was not just Kelnick's home run that stood out. No doubt. And I could see why, you know, it's, it's fun. Fans are trying to follow the workouts and any piece they can get of, uh, you know, baseball and, and what's going on. So um, it, it, it's good. It's good for us. It's good for Jared. Um, I know LJ didn't send you the video. I'm pretty sure of that. So that's one guy we can get off the, the list there. But uh, not just in, in that event. I thought, you know, the, the earlier live BPs yesterday, it was great to see the intensity that Taiwan Walker brought. Uh, and he was talking smack uh, leading up to it with uh, Seeger and Gordon. So uh, those things are good. Uh, that's how you get the, the adrenaline going and, uh, you know, it starts with the smack talking. And it was fun to be a part of it yesterday. Yeah, don't mind that. Feisty Taiwan Walker. Let's go. Scott Service with an update on outfielder Jake Fraley as well as catcher Tom Murphy. So no 
real serious injuries as of yet, but both these two guys banged up. Scott Service, an update on them. Scott, how's Fraley? I know he took one off the head there. Yeah, he's fine today. Um, luckily, it, it did hit the helmet. It uh, didn't get him anywhere else. Caught him right on the, the back uh, side of the helmet. So he's okay. Um, you know, we shut him down for a half hour or so yesterday. He was fine, no symptoms. So he, he's back out there. So uh, Batista uh, had a little bit when he went through the, the feeling, the bunt yesterday, but a little bit of tweak in the hip. But he's fine. He will not miss any time, nothing like that. So we're in good shape. Murphy bounced back quick after the contusion. He was out through, did the whole workout yesterday, which was great to see. He's a tough guy. Well, speaking of injuries or potential injuries, has Scott Service had to warn guys not to go too hard too quickly because of, I don't know, worries or concerns over that? I don't think you can ease in. These guys are competitive, and I think once you let them on your edge, that's sometimes when you get hurt you know, or something goes. So uh, I'm trying to uh, – our, our guys really came in in good shape, uh, really, like I said earlier, better than I anticipated. Uh, but they're ready to go. Um, no hesitations. They shouldn't have any hesitations about getting after it. Um, this really isn't one of those ease into it things. You, you, it's game on. Let's play it like a game. And then, you know, that's the way you get in shape. You get in game shape, um, you know, and the speed of the game certainly picks up quite a bit uh, when you're in live competition versus just the, the ground balls or the balls getting shot out of a machine to catch and things like that. So um, our guys are ready. We'll be in good shape. That is good to hear. Music to our ears. Well, how will practice today work? Because they've got an inter-squad game, their first, coming up tomorrow. Once again, hear it right here on 710 ESPN Seattle at 2.30 p.m. So what are the plans for today? We've got a, uh, a shortened day tomorrow. Um, you know, we're just going to come in in the morning. We've got a few live VPs. Um, we'll try to give the majority of the players, almost all the players will be off tomorrow, uh, except the ones that are, are throwing the live VP, and some of the younger guys will come in and hit. Uh, and then we will tee it up for a seven inning, got seven full innings of inner squad the next day. Uh, we will have a, a morning workout for the guys who are not in the inner squad game. Uh, and then an afternoon workout uh, similar to what we're doing now leading into the inner squad game. So um, looking forward to that, looking forward to some competition. Our guys are ready to play some games. There's no question about that. Coming up next on the Blitz, uh... Richard Sherman had some thoughts uh, contrasting the similarities and differences between Pete Carroll and Kyle Shanahan. What did Sherm have to say about the differences in their coaching styles? Plus Dave Wyman with some thoughts on those thoughts. (laughs) Yes, if you'll believe it. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, July 9th. NFC West is just one of the funnest. No, no, not so much if you are a fan of one of these teams. Divisions to play in in football, arguably the best division in the NFL. And Richard Sherman has a unique perspective of playing for two of those teams, two of the best coaches uh, in in that division and of going to two different Super Bowls, uh, one with each of those coaches. He had some thoughts in an article recently by Jim Trotter of NFL.com that contrasted the similarities and differences of the two head coaches that he has played for during his career, Pete Carroll and Kyle Shanahan. Sherman said regarding their interaction with players, quote, this was on Pete, quote, uh, Carroll is a way of coaching, a way of talking to his coaches, a way of having his coaches talk to his players. They don't do the whole rah-rah, 
curse you out style. He would never hire a coach like that. Kyle is similar in that he has a philosophy of the best man plays. He doesn't care about your draft position or any of that. He's more of a straight shooter than Pete. Pete has a way of making sure everybody feels good, making sure he pushes buttons with certain players and not pushing buttons on other players. Kyle is different. He's one size fits all. Also speaking to their game planning or their mindset, Sherm said, quote, Kyle's one of the best offensive minds we've ever had in this game. That comes into it. With Pete, it's the cover three he brought to the league. It seems so simple, but nobody can run it like we ran it. The way both of them implement what they do, they talk to others on a personal level, then have the great coaches around them who believe in their philosophy. So also some similarities that Sherm notes here. Dave Wyman yesterday on Bob, Dave, and more with some thoughts about these comments. The first up being the straight-up approach Sherman describes in Shannon's coaching style. Well, he actually uh, sees it as something, well, Jim Moore, sorry, that was Jim Moore that sees it as something that Pete Carroll has. I'll play you that cut in a second. But also Dave Wyman noting that that's something that you might appreciate more as a veteran than as a new player into the league. Talking about Kyle Shanahan as if he's kind of uh, like Bill Belichick. You know, he's one size fit, fits all. I'm going to cut it to you as straight as I can. You know, I'm going to explain every single detail of what I understand about the game, as you already read, Bob. But, I mean, it just, this sounds like, you know, Pete is more of a player's coach, and he tries to you, – you have to be kind of a psychiatrist, I think. You, you have to know what buttons to push. And, you know, that's – to me, I think it's really good for, for veterans, though, Shanahan's approach – and I think they appreciate it a little bit more because veterans want to be told the truth. But sometimes the younger guys, and I was that way too, I needed a little bit more. I needed some motivation. I needed some praise. I needed them to tell me that what I'm doing is good. And later on, you don't really need that as much. Dave Wyman also with some thoughts on Sherm's comments as a whole. You know how I said in 10 years that Richard Sherman will come back and we'll all be friends and all this stuff will go away. Now I'm not so sure. I, I, I just think it's a, I, I don't know. I don't know why he has felt the need to, you know, take shots at everybody, you know, from Pete Carroll to, to Russell Wilson. And you know, I'm just not sure why he, he feels the need to do that. But I, I feel like, you know, if things go south and all of a sudden they cut his contract and all of a sudden things aren't so bright and cheery in San Francisco, you know, he might turn on, on Kyle Shanahan. I don't know. Pete has been a, a really good coach, and I just see this as him kind of taking a shot at Pete, which bothers me. Jim Moore also with some thoughts yesterday on Sherm's comments and arguing that Pete Carroll's a straight shirt, shirt shooter too. Excuse me. Shoot your shot, Lydia, uh, in his mind. Whatever you think about Pete Carroll, don't you think he's a straight shooter? Don't you think he's honest or... I, I don't know. I, I, if I'm a player, everything, and when he's dealing with the media, I'm, I'm listening to Pete Carroll, and I think, well, okay, I'd, I'd like to play for him. Uh, and, okay, does he handle different players? Uh, he had to handle Marshawn Lynch differently to get the most out of him. So uh, I, I know there's the old-school way of thinking, and I usually subscribe to that, where uh, one size fits all, and you should treat every player, whether it's the, the star on the team to the last guy on the bench the same, but that just doesn't get the job done anymore, I don't think. I don't think you can get that in the 2020s and get it to work. Jim Moore also on um, understanding Sherman's, how he might feel about the way things ended here in Seattle, but with some thoughts on those comments. But then again, I, I think if you're Richard Sherman, you you got to give more praise to Kyle Shanahan, your current coach, than you do Pete Carroll. But yeah, yeah. It, it seems like he uh, he went out of his way a little bit to 
take a shot at Pete. And it always bothers me, too, because if you're him, if you looked at the bigger picture and you thought to yourself, and, and I'm sure he will when he has time to reflect, like, hey, they took a chance on me in the fifth round. And yeah, I was a wide receiver at Stanford. And I remember guys like Dave Wyman say I, I wasn't very good as a cornerback playing college. And, and look at me now and look, look at what the opportunity they gave me. And I'm probably going to I could be in the Hall of Fame. I'm going to be in the Ring of Honor. I've won a Super Bowl. Uh, I've been to, what, three Super Bowls? Uh, I mean, his life has just changed dramatically. Coming up on the Blitz, we've also got some news on Josh Gordon, but Paul Moyer is maybe one guy who might have them, some thoughts on Richard as well. He chatted with Bob David Moore yesterday. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, July 9th. There's still a lot of unknowns about the NFL season, but the NFL proceeding as if things will happen on time, the regular season starting on time, as well as training camp for a lot of teams kicking off on July 28th. Michael Janiti, co-founder and editor of SpotTrack.com, which I'm sure many of you fans have used in the past, does an incredible job of tracking contract details for players across all major sports and uh, cap situations for teams across different leagues. But he joined Bob, Dave, and more yesterday to chat about some of the uncertainties uh, right now in terms of the financial situation. Talking some football business with a man who's uh, co-founder and editor of Spot Track, talking with Michael Janiti. Michael, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, we appreciate you taking a few minutes with us. And and I saw this story yesterday about the NFL, uh, you know, the NFLPA talking to their, their members saying, hey, get ready. The NFL is going to talk to us about putting, I think they said, some, somewhere around 35% of uh, their salary in an escrow account. Could you explain how that would work and how receptive do you think the PA is going to be with that? <laughs> I'll take the last first. It's not going well already, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> how it would work <laughs> How it would work is it's basically the baseball situation where there was you know, a little bit of an advance pulled out of each contract and put away just to be able to say, look, we don't think we're, we're going to get all 16 games done, which baseball obviously went from 162 down to 60. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's basically to say, we want to invest it. We want to put it away right now and make sure it's not touched. We want to do whatever we need to do with it over here so that when it's time to play football, we have something we can push to because, uh, Frank, owners and, and the teams are losing quite a bit of money right now. I mean, if you're attached to your, your arena right now and there's no events happening, you're, you're bleeding money right now. It's happening. I understand they're coming from a lot higher place than many of us are, but it, it's happening. There, there's quite a lot of money being lost. So they're just trying to save face a little bit and pull some money out of these players' salaries and, and use the power of the CBA to do that. Uh, it's not going to go well. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, Michael, um, what's what's like the, the biggest, uh, most common misnomer that you hear from people, whether you're watching TV or somebody says something about a salary cap or where, where do uh, where do people like us, in other words, make uh, make our mistakes as far as assuming, you know, what's going on financially in the league? So the, the toughest thing I think to wrap your head around is the difference between cap and cash, salary cap versus just straight cash that's paid. And, and I, I'm here to tell you right now, 
there's not a single player in the NFL that cares anything about their cap. <laughs> they, they, they don't even understand. They, they might understand it, but they don't care how the cap works because all that matters to them is the dollars, of course, the cash in hand. And, and what what's really needs to be understood more is the cap is such – it's not that it's fake, but it can be it can be maneuvered and flexed so easily that it's really not as important as even someone like I try to portray it to be. Uh, there's just so much flexibility in it, and really teams have so much cap space these days, the majority of them do, that anything can happen. So whenever that's why these trade requests that get put out there, it's so difficult to to wrap your head around the leverage in doing that because teams can really do what they want from a cap perspective. Hmm. And you got you got any insight on Clowney and, and where he might end up? Because I, I typically will look at, at I, I thought maybe he would go to Cleveland because they had the most money under the cap to spend. But uh, how do you think that shakes out? Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to look at it because I think if Cleveland ups their offer, it's going to have to be them. I, I I just don't think the other offers are there. It sounds like the Raiders really lowballed them, and I know probably Seattle and Tennessee have made made their low offers, and they're not going to budge on those. If he wants to go and try to win, obviously those last two teams are where you go. I know Dallas is like a pipe dream as well, but Dallas probably can't even offer him ten million a year right now. So I, I really don't I put them in the in the conversation. To me, it's going to be Cleveland and the field because I, you're right. They have the space. They can up the ante if they want to. I'm just not sure they're willing to. Michael Giannidi, uh co-founder and editor of Spot Track in that full interview. Really interesting. Available at SavitanSports.com. Also yesterday, speaking of contracts, Seahawks Paul Moyer joining those guys to chat about his thoughts on Pat Mahomes' deal. Hey, what was your reaction, uh, Paul, to this uh, Patrick Mahomes deal? It's I was telling these guys yesterday, it's amazing as the stories were initially coming out each time I read a story, the the ultimate dollar figure got bigger and bigger. Like it started at four fifty or four sixty, then it was four seventy five, four ninety, and then it was five oh three. He's he's <laughs> he's in line to make a billion dollars, you know, within the next ten years or something. But what what was your take on this deal? Well, yeah, it's funny money. I, I think part of it is like he's he's probably the best quarterback in the league. He just won a Super Bowl. You you want to have a bit of a splash. You know, it's part of it's probably marketing as well. He's got to have the biggest contract, and and probably rightfully so too. You know, we don't know all the ins and outs of the contract. You know, a lot of people have been dogging his agent, um, saying that he didn't give him a good deal. But look, it's funny money. You know, the guys. You know, whether he gets the full contract, they redo it in four or five years, you know, who knows. Um, but I, I think it's good. I mean, it's just it, something to get some news out there, get it behind him. He's got the richest contract in NFL history for now. And uh, it's just it it's just crazy. I mean, I just think about what Russell Wilson's going to get in a couple of years. I mean, you know, he's – and I don't think the money matters. I, I think it really does come down to – what percentage of the salary cap they're taking. And it looks like the high-priced quarterbacks are really falling in between that 12 to 15% of the salary cap. And I think that's what you're going to see you know, moving forward and, and how they're going to pay these quarterbacks. You know, Paul, I was listening to Danny and Gallant this morning, and uh, you know, somebody, I don't know if it was Mike Florio, was saying that uh, he's going to be become like the next big iconic like jordan and tiger and you know i i could see it i guess i mean i guess for a football player because it's such a team sport and you stand out so much more in those other sports especially golf but uh the guy is just so 
good, I'm such a good guy. I mean, we kind of find out now Jordan was like so hyper competitive, you know, from looking at the last dance thing. And then, you know, Tigers had his little, you know, fall from grace and things like that. But first of all, do you, do you think he can be that kind of guy? And then secondly, you know, I always say money is a challenge for people, but I just don't, I don't ever see this guy being other than just the greatest guy in the world. But I, I wonder at one point, you know, when he starts to come under pressure, does that ever get to a guy like Patrick Mahomes? It doesn't seem like it, uh, you know, because he is really mature for his age. You know, obviously raised incredibly well. He's humble. I don't think money, I can't, how much money, you know, a million dollars can affect you. You know, $30, $40 million a year, I, you know, how much more does that affect you? I, I don't know if any football player can ever get to the Michael Jordans, the Tiger Wood, you know, that type of mega superstar. And and mainly it's just because there's 16 games, you wear a helmet, there's just something about, you know, basketball players, you know, you play 82 games, you know, you can see their face, it's up close, they're playing almost every, every you know, minute as well, you know, Tiger Woods, same thing, I mean, they're, back in the day, you know, you're playing 30 tournaments, you know, you got four days, all eyes on you, um, I just think that it's different, I think it's hard for football players to do it, and I also think the NFL, you know, they're, they are about somewhat protecting that shield, it's about the game, you know, the players are a big part of it, obviously, um, but I, I, and they're all super. Russell Wilson's a superstar. They're all superstars. I just don't think any of them can ever get to that mega, mega standpoint. Coming up next on the Blitz, it is time for the Hot List. Remember that interview is available for you seven ten sports dot com. In the Hot List, though, former Seahawks wide receiver Josh Gordon auctioning off the Super Bowl ring that he won with the Patriots while still working and applying for reinstatement into the NFL. The Ivy League also announcing yesterday that it ruled out playing all sports this fall. Will this impact any other Division One conference? They became the first to do so, but is their economic model so different from everyone else's that it won't be uh, another conference following suit? We'll hear from the leader of the SEC, plus Stanford, announcing it'll cut 11 of its varsity athletic programs this year. The implications of that, plus Jim Harbaugh, just being Jim Harbaugh, you probably don't want to miss this quote. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! There have been some gaps, let's say, in the testing process, some holes in the testing process for Major League Baseball. Some teams have had to shut down practices this week because they have yet to receive their past test results. Um, Jeff Passan with some thoughts yesterday on how teams and players are adapting. Now, Major League Baseball has looked into the possibility 
of an expanded testing facility, perhaps going elsewhere to ship some of the tests because the volume is as significant as it is. And I think it's also important to note, Marley Rivera reported earlier today that the intake testing has been completed and there has been a second batch of testing done as well. About 6,000 tests have been taken and there have been 76 total positives. It's a number that Major League Baseball frankly thought was going to be higher. The players thought it was going to be higher as well. And does seem to bode well going forward, but as we know, these tests do not include what happens during the travel in order to get to those locations. Jeff Passan also asked how players are adjusting to the new rules. As an athlete, you get so used to a particular way of life, and baseball players, maybe more than anybody, are into routines and really like to follow those routines. And the players are all saying, this doesn't feel like baseball. This is weird not being near your teammates. This is weird socially distancing out on the field. But this is our new reality. And listen, if during the regular season, Derek Cole does not like the feel of a ball, he's going to pick it up. He's going to chuck it to the side and he's going to ask for a new one. He's got that luxury going forward. So still trying to get the hang of it, but again, not that far into the summer camp as of now. As for the Mariners, Jerry DePoto, very pleased with how effectively they've been operating so far. Yeah, right now we're pleased with how things are going overall. I mean, it, the our players got in early. Uh, we got through the, the, the testing and we got out on the field in uh, about as as seamless a fashion as we could have hoped. I think our staff from Kyle Torgerson to Joe Boringer and our field staff, Scott Service, the coaches and, and, and the entire group have done a phenomenal job of setting up a, a daily work schedule that keeps the players from being, uh, I guess, exposed to, to big groups for any long period of time. We get them in and out in, in five hours-ish a day. Also, Jerry DePoto with uh, the silver lining in a situation like this being that it can be beneficial for the development of a very young squad like theirs. Obviously, with some of the guys that we were, we would have otherwise started at the low levels, you know, the A levels and, and below, we're going to be a little slower in how we develop and get them back on the mound. Or even in, in how we get them there at bats once the games start, knowing that we, ha- we do have to get prepared to start a season in, in about two weeks. Uh, but the opportunity to have the young players here experiencing this, intermingling with our, our major league club and staff, getting familiar with Seattle and T-Mobile Park, it's, in, it's really I mean, in such a unique situation as we're all in right now. This is a, one of the real silver linings is what this could do for the development of, of a young group like we have. Jerry DePoto also on the 60-man roster and uh, saying there's not going to be a lot of moves surrounding that 60-player pool. There's not going to be a lot of willy-nilly movement in an, you know, in an, around the 60-player pool. Uh, the, you know, we're, we're confident that between our or among our 60 players, the players that we would count as the next tier of additions in the event that we need to add players to our 60-player pool from in-house, or uh, the, the players that might come from the present free agent pool and or what we ultimately believe will be you know, an MLB, MLBPA-sanctioned uh, free agent uh, I guess team or teams that, that are going to play independently, we, can, we will be able to access players in the event that we, that we need to replace them quickly. But 
you know, our our intent is to, to get through this without without losing players from our 60-man pool uh, from a from a control standpoint. Tapoto also saying that those spots on the 60 uh, pool, those are like gold right now, and that's why you can't add Mitch Haniger as of now with the uncertainty surrounding his health and his recovery. Former Seahawks wide receiver Josh Gordon is auctioning off the Super Bowl ring he received as a member of the New England Patriots when they won Super Bowl 53. The ring will be sold with Heritage Auctions for its memorabilia auction this August. The auction house saying the ring has an estimated value of $100,000. Gordon was suspended during the 2018 season, did not play in that Super Bowl, but the Patriots still issued him a ring because he contributed to the team during the regular season. Gordon currently applying for reinstatement into the NFL and... Uh, if it is possible, which I hope it is for him, because um, I wish good things for him, that's, uh, that he could end up back here with the Seahawks. The Ivy League announced Wednesday that it has ruled out playing all sports this fall, becoming the first Division One conference to say it will not hold sports this up- upcoming semester because of concerns over the coronavirus pandemic. No decision has been made about winter or spring Ivy sports or whether fall sports could be played in the spring of 2021. Executive Director of the Ivy League, Robin Harris, joined Spain & Co. on ESPN Radio yesterday to discuss what went into this decision. You know, it definitely wasn't any easier to make a second time because we uh, had been through it once before. But we also know again that it's the right decision for our schools. And our presidents have been meeting and talking frequently and a consistent theme throughout as they talked about how they were going to uh, approach academics and campus life generally for the fall is obviously that our student athletes should be treated like students and that our campus policies for campuses or you know for the student body generally are going to apply to athletics so as the ivy league schools started to announce the policies for campuses during the fall, it became clear as a result of the varying campus policies across our schools that competition in athletics just wasn't going to be feasible. Also said that travel played a huge role in the decision too, and that uh, based on the eight campus COVID-19 policies that were detailed and hammered out over the past two weeks, that fall competition was just impractical based on that, but also the travel restrictions for faculty, staff, and students played a huge role in that. Um, Harris said she can't put a timeline on when competition might resume in her conference, and a lot of people watching this decision uh, from other other conferences, although the economic model, because the Ivy Leagues don't offer athletic scholarships, uh, is quite different, don't rely on revenue generated from those games as much as other schools. Um, It's quite unique. And Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner yesterday, saying the Ivy League decision does not affect their decision. I don't think that um, the announcement today is is any inflection point for decision-making. Now, when you look at what's happening from the trend line with with virus testing, uh, with hospitalizations, with supplies and treatments, those are the real inflection points for us. Greg Sankey also reminding everybody that optimism isn't reality. I want to be optimistic, but the reality is publicly, we have to discipline ourselves to remain healthy as a culture. And that relates to some of the behaviors we've seen that have caused the spread to accelerate. And uh, I've been uh, optimistic, but I'm prepared that optimism is not reality. 
Meanwhile, Jim Harbaugh, Michigan Wolverines head coach, uh, with some thoughts on college football, some head-scratching thoughts, as usual, uh, uh, returning during COVID-19. But, you know, COVID is is part of our society. Um, wasn't caused by football or caused by by uh, sports. And you know, there's you know, no expert view right now that I, I'm aware of or that are, you know, agreeing expert views that, you know, sports, you know, is going to, is going to make that, that worse. It's part of our society. We're going to have to have to deal with it. The, um, you know, and, and these kids got to have to do the same thing. You know, they, they've got to go to school They're um, you know, they've been training their whole lives for the opportunity uh, to play their, to play their sport. And, um, you know, that, that is, that's my view with the knowledge that we have and time to learn, to learn more about it, that, uh, you know, it would be my responsibility, our responsibility, and the, and the player's responsibility also, you know, keep themselves safe, safe uh, and uh, also, you know, get the schooling and the training that they need. He also uh, had some thoughts on a potential extension for him. He said, well, it's not a concern right now. Yeah, I, yeah, I would think so. Stanford University will cut 11 of its varsity athletic programs at the conclusion of the 2020-2021 academic year as it attempts to deal with fallout and ongoing financial consequences of the coronavirus pandemic. The 11 sports that will be discontinued are men's and women's fencing, field hockey, lightweight rowing, men's rowing, co-ed and women's sailing, squash, synchronized swimming, men's volleyball and wrestling. Coaches and athletes involved were notified Wednesday and according to the school uh, that 11 programs involve more than 240 student athletes and 22 coaches. Stanford will honor all of its scholarship commitments and assist any athletes who wish to continue their careers elsewhere. Coaches contracts will also be honored. Um, Chris Patola covers ESPN uh, college basketball actually saying that this was an inevitable move and that Stanford has wanted to do this for a while. Well, I think this was something that they've been wanting to do for a while. And, and I think that they're using a pandemic as a rationale for doing that. 36 is a big number of sports to carry, especially in this day and age. And I have no doubt that they have, they have certainly suffered losses, uh, as most athletic departments have, given the pandemic. But there are ways that Stanford, a place like Stanford, can make this work. Running back Raheem Mostert is requesting a trade from the San Francisco 49ers. His agent announced yesterday, Brett Tesler, that would be his name, tweeted out, quote, after months of unproductive talks with the 49ers about fairly adjusting Raheem Mostert's contract, which paid him for special teams, we have requested a trade. Disappointing that it would come to this for a guy who led all NFL running backs in uh, in YPC, yards per carry, and helped lead them to the Super Bowl. Earlier this offseason, the 49ers traded running back Matt Breda to the Miami Dolphins, so potentially dwindling uh, in the backfield. The other running backs on the team's roster include Tevin Coleman, Jeff Wilson, and Jarek McKinnon, who hasn't played in two seasons because of knee injuries. Mostert is scheduled to be paid a base salary of 2.575 this season, due 2.8, just over 2.8 million in 2021 as part of a three-year deal that he signed with the Niners last year. Based on average annual value, though, uh, Raheem is the 49ers' fourth highest paid running back behind McKinnon, fullback Kyle Juszczyk, and Coleman. Mostert did lead the 49ers uh, in rushing yards last season with 772 and scored 
10 touchdowns, eight of those on the ground, two through the air. In three playoff games, he rushed for 336 yards with five touchdowns and set a Niners franchise record. No big deal with 220 rushing yards in the NFC Championship game, the victory over the Green Bay Packers. Amazon on Wednesday became the latest company to announce that it will be removing uh, Washington merchandise for sale while the team considers a name change. Uh, CNBC reported that sellers on Amazon were given 48 hours to remove Washington merchandise. Amazon joins Nike, Walmart, Target, and Dick's Sporting Goods among companies to remove that merchandise for sale online while the team reviews its nicknames. Or nickname, excuse me, a potential nickname change. Steven Jackson, there was some troubling... More than troubling comments from uh, Sean Jackson over the weekend on social media, on Instagram. Um, Anti-Semitic comments that he ended up apologizing for and that the Eagles expressed uh, extreme disappointment in and said they are appalling and have no place in their organization. Steven Jackson uh, coming to his defense yesterday and saying that he agreed with Sean Jackson in some regard, but then went on CNN to clarify exactly what he agrees with him on. Nobody can find a video or article of me saying I hate anybody. I own something that says love for all who have love for all. I stand on that. In 42 years, you can't say I approach any race or I stand different. No, I don't support any of that. Maybe I could have been more clear of what I thought Deshaun was correct about, but I didn't feel to, I didn't feel the need to go into a conversation that me and him had about how they was treating him and Riley Cooper. I could have changed those words, but the people that know me, my Jewish friends that I talk to today, they know that the last thing I was spewing was to defend Hitler or any other post. That's why I didn't speak on Hitler or even speak on this post. I spoke on exactly what I agreed with, and they was handling him different than they was handling uh, Cooper. That's the end of it. They can twist it how they want, but that's exactly what it is. I don't hate nobody. Oh, and hey, yesterday we had soccer back. Orlando City beating Inter-Miami in the MLS is back tournament opener 2-1 to one yesterday. It continues today. The Sounders playing tomorrow on Friday. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way right now, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.